take your Bibles out to the book of Proverbs. And uh, last week we started this uh, series where we're, we're going through different Proverbs and taking the spiritual truths that God is telling us. And of course, uh, we surround that with other portions of Scripture to get us to uh, the point that God wants us to have with this. Uh, we, we don't need to be a bunch of fools. It's so easy to act like a fool. And, and, and the Bible has given us the instructions and, of how to foolproof our life, how, how to know what is right and wrong. That opens up and says, you better not be wise in your own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. You better fear the Lord and depart from evil. You better learn what God has said of how to live life because we make a mess out of our lives all the time. So I was going through, and, and like a lot of you guys, have you ever done it where you start at the beginning of the month and you will go through and you'll read one Proverbs, one chapter every single day, and then and you can go through and by the end of the month you go through it. I've done that. I've done it where I just, uh, different times where I just want to sit down and I, I don't have time to read a long portion of Scripture and I'll just dig into Proverbs. And there's so much practical aspect of that. Well, a while back I started marking the major themes that it goes through, and there's a lot of different things like last work, uh, the, the words that we say and how they impact people and the fact that they last a long time and they impact and they have power and all those things. So today we're going to get into another one. I started thinking about this one just from life. When Jen and I were on our honeymoon over 20 years ago, uh, we went down to Orlando and we went to Disney World. It was my very first time uh, to go to Disney World, very first time. So if you've ever been down there, it, it, there's stuff everywhere, it's stuff that you don't normally get to see in themed restaurants and things like that. And uh, while, while we were there, we were driving down the interstate and there was a restaurant way off and I, I was determined to find it inside the restaurant. And I know you're just going to think I'm just a dumb redneck for saying this, but there was a Bigfoot truck in the parking lot of this restaurant, <clears throat> the authentic, do you guys know what I'm talking about? The authentic, the original Bigfoot, that there was a brand of truck, it would go and ride over cars and things like that. You, is it, does the northern people not have cool stuff like that? Then down in the south, all the rednecks would get together. They would go to a coliseum just for bigger trucks to run over smaller vehicles. And we'd cheer it on and that was like a festivity. You guys are missing out on life. Seriously, people. And uh, it is a monster truck jam is what we'd have. And, but anyways, I'd never been up close to one. And in this parking lot of this theme restaurant, they had an authentic Bigfoot truck in the parking lot. And I told my wife, before we leave, I want to go there and I want to get my picture taken with that Bigfoot truck. Just on my bucket list, okay? I just wanted to do it. So we, we, we pull into this parking lot eventually when we're driving through, and it was on International Drive, and I remember darting into this parking lot, and I looked at my wife, and I said, my brand new wife, we've been married for like four days, and I said, I want to go get my picture taken with that truck, and she said, okay, go ahead. I was like, okay. Well, I'm thinking, I can't take a picture. This was way before the selfie uh, generation, okay? This is when somebody actually had to have a, a hold the camera and take a picture, and you didn't know what it was going to look like till you got it back from camera or wherever you had it developed. And I remember thinking my wife was just going to jump out of the car and then run over and take the picture of me in front of this truck. So I get out, I hint, and I was like this. So I had to get out, and I had to go find somebody to hold the camera <clears throat> to take my picture and then get back in. 
And when I got back in the car, I'm just being honest, I was not in a good mood whatsoever. Not in a, I am thinking, I have a wife, I have a partner, she's my helpmate according to the Bible. She should have helped me get a picture taken with the Bigfoot truck. This is just the basics of life here. And I, I am just, I, I'm mad I get in there. And I remember driving off mad and she goes, what's wrong with you? I, I said, I had to find somebody to take my picture. And she goes, okay. I was like, it should have been you. You should have got out. You should have taken my picture. I should never have had to ask. You are my wife. And we've come a long way since then. <laughs> but I, I remember thinking nobody should get into a fight on their honeymoon. Nobody should argue like that. But today we're going to do a, start a two-week thing on conflict. See, see, the reason why I'm doing this is because I'm, I'm going to just give you my introduction today. Number one, here's fact number one. Conflict is part of life. If you have family, you have conflict. If you are married, you have conflict. If you have children, you have conflict. Do you know why I'm getting on this? Because we have a generation that is an unfriending generation. If somebody crosses you and you don't like what they say, you don't like what they post, you don't like how they treated you, no problem, watch this. Within 30 seconds, I can get on my friend and, or on my phone and I can unfriend you. you. You realize that we are the children of God? You realize that we're a reflection of God to the world every single day of our life? Can you imagine God doing that with us, looking down from heaven saying, well, I'm going to unfriend Tony because he didn't pray today. And you say, that's foolish, that's childish. Yes, let me tell you, we act foolish and childish in half the things that we do in our lives doesn't reflect Christ. If you are made of flesh, you will encounter conflict. I don't do this a lot, but on the back of your bulletin is, is a piece of paper with, with lines on it to take notes. I, I would love it if you can physically get your hand on a pen this morning. I want you to take notes. Because this isn't, a lot of times when I preach on Sunday morning, we'll we do marriage and you say, oh, I'm not married. I'm raising kids. I'm not, I don't have kids. And sometimes it's hit me. Not a person breathing here today will not go through what we're talking about. And, and I'm, I'm going to give you verses. I'm doing this introduction. This isn't the way that I planned it at the beginning of the week. It was one, one message by this morning. I had to divide it in two. Because there is so much the Bible tells us about how to deal with one another. So I, I want you to write these things down. It, conflict is part of life. It is, as much as laughing is part of friendship, conflict is part of friendship. It, it's just, it just goes hand in hand. If, if you have a friend, you're going to have conflict. I, I had a great time um, last night. Uh, Bubba and Tammy was with us. Me and Bubba grew up from... Bubba, go ahead and stand. I talk about you, get, tell stories every one of them. This is, this is my best friend Bubba from the time that we were like eight, nine years old. And uh, so we, we go way back. Don't, we, we, we've gotten into a lot of trouble. You can sit down, Bubba. And uh, we're pulling out these pictures and telling stories. And, and going through all our history of time together and things like that, <clears throat> as much as we had the stories of, remember you did that and that was so funny... We also had the stories of, remember you did that and we, we got mad at each other? Remember you did that and we stopped talking? Remember when you started flirting with that girl and I liked that girl and all the different things that would go on? Conflict is part of life. Here we are, Bubba and I, 30 some years later, still friends. 
And I'm telling you here, if you don't know how to deal with conflict, you don't know how to deal with life. And we act the fool. If you don't know how to handle conflict in your life, you don't know how to handle people. You don't know how to handle family. And as the children of God, you don't have to turn there, but this reminded me that Matthew 5, verse 9, when Jesus was doing the Sermon on the Mountain, he's sitting there talking to them, and he's talking about blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. You know the thing that he said, blessed are the peacemakers? Not, not the peace receivers, and we all sit there and say, man, I receive the spirit of peace of God because he lives inside my life. Praise God for that. He didn't just say blessed are the peace havers. He said blessed are the peacemakers. The people that go out of their life when things are not right and they say, I want to make it right. That's what a peacemaker does. Whether it's at your job, whether it's in the hallways of the church, whether it's standing around the water fountain, everybody's upset. Whether it's at that family reunion that somebody walks out upset because of something. God said, blessed, happy are the peacemakers. Now, it doesn't just stop there. This is what Jesus said. For they shall be called the children of God. Let me put it like this. God said, if there's a characteristic where somebody sees you and they see what you're doing and I go out and I try to make peace or have peace or bring uh, unity to a situation in church or home or work or whatever, people should step back and say, wait a minute, by what you are doing, you look like God. The children of God. Since we're on the subject, what is the opposite the strife, the division, the backbiting, the I write you off, I'm done with you, I hate your guts, I don't know why I was ever friends with you. If, if being a peacekeeper identifies you with God, what does all that identify you with? That's all of us. We look like Christ. And we endeavor to spread peace. God loves unity and Satan loves division. Proverbs 17, verse 14. The beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water. So I digged into that. I'm like, what does that mean? The beginning of strife, at the very beginning of strife, where every one of us gets, where every one of you might have been this morning, where every one of us live, at the very beginning of those first words, that aggravation, that frustration that you have with whoever you love or you spend life with or your kids or somebody that you sat next to in class. He said, at the beginning of that is when one letteth out the water. It is the same principle that we would say of one that opened up the dam. So, Richard, if you have that picture. So you can imagine, this is the literal vision, the illustration that God was given in this passage. He said, you can imagine, all of this is held back. Man, inside of you, your flesh is capable of strife and envy and backbiting and hatred and all those other things. And he said, you know what it is? Conflict is right there that just literally, when you get into a conflict with a brother or sister in Christ or whatever, you literally put your hand on that handle and say, you know what? I'm going to let you have it. He said, what's the big deal? Because God says, I know what's behind that. And it doesn't just stop and it doesn't just go away. And he, in the, in the proverb here, is saying the beginning, at the beginning of strife is one letteth out. When one pulls the switch, when one pulls the lever back and lets it out, 
He said, therefore, leave off contention before it meddleth. Let it alone fix it before it gets out of hand. And in our life, we either go into a skunk mode or a turtle mode. You either cause a stink or you pull back. And every one of us do it. And all of a sudden, in those situations, nothing gets fixed and churches split. And I'm not doing this because we have a problem. I'm not even saying that, but I'm, I'm telling you, this is how we live life. In Ephesians 4, 26, when he talks about be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath. And we'll come back to this in a minute. He was talking about literally, you better understand that this is something's coming. It's a time sensitive thing. He's saying, hey, hey, don't let the sun go down. Hey, when it's going down, that's, that's a time thing. You better handle it while you can. Conflict is part of life. Fact number two, conflict turns to sin when conflict is unresolved. And that verse, be angry and sin not, it literally means you're going to get upset. But did you notice it said be angry and sin not? Literally means I can be at the point of being angry and not have to step in the sin. Being angry just means that there's a stir of strong emotions built up inside of you. I can... I can be angry if I saw somebody picking on my kid. Uh, you guys have all been there. If you, you see somebody picking on your kid or whatever, I can be angry. That doesn't mean I have to go kick that other kid that's picking on my kid. He's saying be angry, but you better learn how to control your anger. Be angry and sin not. That problem, those exchange of words will fester. They will run through your mind. Your flesh begins to read into everything. You think the worst of other people. You begin to think, pull things from the past, you, the things that haven't been dealt with. Begin to have a pity party. The same way that a splinter leads to an infection in your body, unresolved conflict will always lead to bitterness. Unresolved conflict will sour your spirit. It will, it will sour your relationships. It will ruin your worship. You know why I'm doing this? Because I, I, I got into this and I thought, so many of us will avoid resolving conflict because I, I, I've heard the stories. I've heard them from you guys. I've heard them from me. We've all been there. People that don't even go home for Christmas anymore. Don't, don't get together at Thanksgiving. You say, well, I had, we had to cut ties and write them off. And, and sometimes there are those situations where you've done all and you have to sit there according to Matthew 18 and just pull back because they, they just don't want to change their heart. You cannot fix it after a certain thing. But we're talking about us. We can fix us. We can take the steps. And God is saying this is a big deal. Why? Because when, when, when you let down the sun goes down in your wrath, it always gets worse. Bitterness is sin. You know what we learn from the cross? Sin does not just go away. You know why Jesus came and he died on the cross? Because sin did not just go away. It had to be dealt with. Conflict does not just go away. It must be dealt with. Let me give you another proverb. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3. And it is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. It is glorious. It is a good thing to, to stop the contention. But he said the fool, once again identifying the fool, the one that doesn't care the outcome, the fool is meddling. He loves it. He continues it. See, the Bible explains that we are a fool when we stir up things, whether online or in person. 
when we cut people off and say that you're dead to me, or I, I don't care if, if I ever talk to them for the rest of my life, God's saying that if the spirit does not come from God, it's not a spirit of love, it's not a spirit of unity, it doesn't belong in the church, and it doesn't belong in any Christian home in America. They crossed me, and I'll never forgive them. You may as well la- label yourself a fool. They made, made me mad, and I just can't let it go. You are a fool. My, my mom and dad tried to get into my business, and so I stood up and walked out. You are a fool. And that, that's not just me doing that. The Bible says for those that love contention or continuing the meddling and don't turn around to cease from it, it's a fool. I've heard people say in, in a roundabout word that I've had to blacklist that person, or I, I, I wrote them off and all those kind of things. It's not godly. Unresolved conflict. It's not dealt with will mess up your life. I want, I, want, I want to show you how deep this is as we get into this. Here's fact number three. And this is the foundation for next week. Fact number three. Unresolved conflict blocks our fellowship, my fellowship with God. Can I put it like this? You cannot be right with God if you're not right with the person next to you, that's, that's, that's your, your kids, your spouse, the, the person that you go to church with. You cannot be right with God and not be right with other people. I have wondered so many times, and I was even talking to a couple ladies as we were starting, and just saying our burden to see God work and see, see God convict and God change and revival and people to be saved we look outside and we look at the world and say man how wicked the world has gotten and how perverse and how wrong and man last week when we got in that verse about the words that we save and how they grieve the Holy Spirit of God here, here's another one in, in 1 John four twenty, and I'll read it if a man say I love God and he hateth his brother he is a liar for he that loveth his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he have not seen? And this is a commandment that we have from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. God, God was saying, you know what, I, I, there's a lot of churches that are filled with hypocrites. Because he said, you guys can't even love each other, and then you're going to come into a church service and stand up and talk about, oh, how I love Jesus. Uh, this isn't my words, but God literally says, if that's the mindset that you have, he just said, let me tell you, you're not only a fool, you are a liar. A liar. Can you imagine having a sit-down conversation with God? And God sit there and talk about you, how, how you wrote things off with your parents or whatever, and God looks at you and says, listen, and now you're going to tell me that you love me, and God literally says to our face, you, Tony, are a liar. Can we get that real with God to understand that God is that displeased with it? That God's saying your worship is in vain if your hearts are not right? Matthew 5, 23, talking about the Sermon on the Mount. When he's talking about the peacemakers, later he says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift. Now that gift would have been their sacrifice or their offering. Today, our gift that we bring in will be our worship. He said, if you walk into the church and you come to the altar, the place that you meet with God, and you bring your worship, or you bring your praise, or you bring your fellowship, or you bring your physical offering, or you bring all those things. If you come into the church and you go to the altar with your gifts, 
And there, all of a sudden, God calls to your mind and you remember that thy brother hath ought against thee. He said, listen to the words that God said to us about how to handle this. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Do you know how serious this is with God? God's saying, I can't even have a church of unity and praise and worship and glorifying God or whatever. And God, God says, if you're in there and you're doing it and you realize you're on the stage and you're singing, you're in the back and you're leading, you're in a Sunday school class downstairs, you're on a bus route, you're standing in the choir, you're doing whatever, you're, 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 you're coming in and standing in a pew and you're lifting up your hands and God says, I bring it to your mind, you are better off step out of there and walk out of there and go find that brother to make it right thing you are to stand there and go through the motions. Can we say this is pretty serious with God? Can we say that in, in the mind of God to take this this far, God's saying, I'm not okay with this? To say that maybe we've even hindered the working in the spirit of God, the unity of God because of what's going on behind the scenes, not just because of what's going on in the church. You see, think about that. If, if it hinders our relationship or our connection with God in that way, think about what else it does. See, God is God's not just my salvation. God is my source of my strength. He said, without me, you can do nothing. God is my source of joy. That the, the joy of the Lord is my strength. God is my peace that passes all understanding. You, you think about if all of a sudden I am thinking my life is dead and I'm dry and there's no joy and there's no authentic worship and everything, I, I don't understand. God, why, why, why? And God's saying, quit doing this. You, you need to look at it parallel this way. You're looking in the wrong direction for why things are so bad. 1 Peter 3, 7 even says that it hinders our prayer. Try having a fight with your wife and then going to work, and it robs your joy through the entire day. It kills the spirit of everything. Have you ever sat down for Christmas or Thanksgiving, and all of a sudden words are exchanged at the table, and everything gets quiet, and one person pushes their, tape, their, their, their uh, plate away and gets up and walks out, and the entire family goes quiet and God says, you realize that all of this is connected. You say, well, what, what are you talking about? I'm telling that we, we can have issues. We don't know how to live life. When it does not come into the heart of that Christian to stand up from that table and say, I'll be right back. To sit there and have cross words in the hallway of a church and then sit there and say, that was taken wrong. I'll be right back. To sit there and have a debate with your kids, and then you get in the flesh. Mom and dad, we can get in the flesh too. And not sit there and go to Jordan or Logan or Morgan and sit there and say, I'm sorry. And God said that your prayers be not hindered. It affects our relationship with God. This isn't my words. This isn't my thinking. Unresolved conflict affects my fellowship with God. Number four. Unresolved conflict always gets worse. Sin of any sort is an infection. It, it's a cancer, it's a disease, it's a sickness, however you want to do, with Jesus being the only cure. And by me saying Jesus is the only cure, 
Meaning that whatever God says, this is the antidote. That's why the Bible says, um, don't be wise in your own eyes, where you sit there and say, well, time heals all wounds. Have any of you guys ever heard that? Just say, well, I'm just let time heal all things. Let, let's, if, if you ever get shot, I'm going to walk up to you and tell you that. I'm just going to go up to you and say, I know you're bleeding out, and I know you got a chunk of lead in your chest right now, but buddy, you hang in there because time heals all wounds. You can imagine, all right, no, no, it's, it's got to be dealt with. It's got to be addressed. You rush him to the hospital. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. You're sitting there saying, hey, we're losing them. This isn't good. This isn't healthy. Something's wrong. Come on, guys. Hey, get up. Get him on a gurney. Call, call 911. Let's go. Let's go. God said it's a sickness. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and I want you to mark these things down because I want you to show you the weakness. Last week we looked at Ephesians 4 when we were talking about words. Last week's message and this week's message is connected because the words that we say is usually what sparks the conflict. When he said in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth, it was tied into what he said in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath, which we just read. You say, wow, that's, that's pretty serious. It's time sensitive. God was pushing for it. God was saying, this is important. God was saying, hey, listen, you take care of it, you handle it before it gets worse. But then there's a verse that follows of it that should literally scare us. It should bother us. It should give us the chills as we read this. When you're talking about wrath and unresolved conflict and having problems with other people, and I'm going to read you the next verse. He talks about in grieving not the Holy Spirit of God, this, this conflict that we have. But notice what he says. Neither give place to the devil. Neither give place. Be angry and sin not, Okay? Don't let the sun go down in your wrath, okay? Stop, wait, 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 wait. Don't give Satan an opportunity to come. You know why God has the authority to talk about spiritual wickedness and the evil that's in the world that is that close to us? Because God knows. He says, you might not be able to see the spiritual realm, but I do. You might not be able to see what's on the other side. You, you might not know fully what you're doing. And to you, it's just, I, I wrote off my brother because he made me mad. Or I, I cut off a friend at church. We've been friends for all these years, and you're saying it's not a big deal. God's saying, hey, l- listen, don't let the devil in. A lot of times we have a situation that goes far further than what you thought. You guys realize that division between two friends and a church or division between two leaders and a church could literally lead to a division of the whole church. And you say, that, that, there's just no way. Where, where do you think church splits come from? Where, where do you think divided families come from? Where do you think that come from? When he said, neither give place to the devil, I, I, I looked that up. I, wa- I wanted to understand what that warning is. The word place means spot or the word opportunity. Literally meaning, don't give the devil opportunity. Literally meaning, if you let this go, Put it in your mind like this. If, if you lock your house up at night, and we all do. I, I assume everybody does that. I go around and I check the doors of the house and all this. Why is that? Because there's stuff on the outside that I don't want coming in the inside, especially while I'm sleeping. When we were in Jacksonville, we actually had 
we lived in a bad neighborhood. We had a neighbor shot, literally shot and killed in their apartment complex. That messed with my brain really bad. It bothered me. I just knowing that that happened so close. And I remember checking all the doors every single night, putting a chair up. Have you ever done that? Put the chair up underneath the door handle. Just I'm scared. I I don't like that because of what could get in and hurt me. He, he literally saying, neither give place to the devil. Literally, don't give them opportunity. Literally, what we do when we're letting the sun go down our wrath and we're not dealing with it, it's the same thing as you going over there, unlocking the door of your heart and opening the door, knowing Satan's on the other side. That, that's what's going on. Put that visual in there, and Satan comes in and goes, all right. Now, when he says give place or give opportunity to the devil, what do you think he wants to do? What do you think he wants to do? He's not going to walk in there and say, all right, we all need to sit down and talk about this, okay? Dr. Phil is showing up in your, in your, in your heart. I promise you, it's going to be a whole other scenario that goes on. He's going to provoke and anger and stir up and sit there and tell you and pull other things to your mind. Actually, the Bible actually tells us what he's going to do. When he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit, now we've got a contrast. Not only are you inviting Satan into your heart and mind, you take it to the other degree. He said, you're grieving the Holy Spirit, literally mean quenching. You're shutting down the power of God in your life, and you're inviting Satan inside of your life. Yes, we have problems. You realize what we're talking about? Can I just stop and tell you what we're talking about? This is what we're talking about. I can't believe she just said that. I guarantee you she's talking about me. I guarantee you that comment is about me. Well, you know what? And all of a sudden, you fire right back. And she's sitting there going, I didn't even mean that towards her. What is she doing? Well, that's just like her. I am not surprised one bit. She thinks she's better than me. And, da, 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 and then you fire back. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you can't comment. And you look it up. Oh, she unfriended me. And this whole war breaks out. And you say, what happened? None of that is of God. And we're sitting there talking about grieving the Holy Spirit of God and neither give place to the devil. That's what we're talking about. It's as simple as that. We're not talking about coming out and, you know, painting pentagrams on the floor and lighting candles and inviting spirits in the house. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about how you have it in your heart towards other people. That's the evil that we're dealing with. That's the evil that God's saying, I can't, I can't go in there with that. The, the anger, the wrath, the spirits. So listen to what he says in, in continuation of this same thought. What he says, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Listen to what he says in verse 31. Same passage, just read. He said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You know, when I read that, and I mentioned this last week, it's all connected. I said, well, sometimes we just say something, and we're just saying, you know, you get into a fight, you say, you make me unhappy, you rob my joy, and it just sounds like, you know, you're just trying to prove your point by saying a bunch of words over and over again. Bitterness was the first word mentioned. He said, let all bitterness. Bitterness happens in the heart. It's what you think. Bitterness is not an outward thing. If you know anything about bitterness, it starts in your heart. It doesn't change everything about you. But what happens is there's something that alters how you feel. It's like ordering water and putting lemon juice into it. It's it's bitter. It's something that changes and affects everything that it touches. It's where it starts. 
But then it turns to wrath. The word wrath means passion or as breathing hard. It means a fierceness. It means your emotions or feelings. Once again, it's still not outward. But all of a sudden, that bitterness that you have towards that person begins to take root and it affects you. That's when you lay in bed and you begin to cry what you, when you think about what they say, said about you. That's when you get mad and you start saying, how dare them? It begins to affect your emotions. That's when it kicks in. For some people, it goes the other way where it rolls into depression. It pushes the other person away. It affects your emotions to where you say, I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to go to family reunion. I'm not going home for Christmas this year. But then the third word is anger. It goes from an, a, a feeling to, to, a, to an emotion to a desire. Anger is a desire. It literally means reacting or implication of punishment. I am going to do something. You start pushing towards wrong things. You start reacting. You start finding fault with the other person. You start getting on their profile picture like, oh, like they're all perfect in all their, their actions. And look at what they said. And then it comes the clamor. Clamor is the outcry. Literally, that's the word that it means. It means an outcry, a clamor. The disease begins to come out. You can only hold it in so long before you begin to share what you feel and how you feel. And then it comes out. It's not just the, oh, I can't stand her. It comes the, the evil speaking, which is slander or backbiting. It's a progression. And it doesn't stop there. At the end of that verse, and it says, be put away from you. And then it just stops and puts a comma there and says, hey, with all malice. That word malice literally means evil, literally meaning that every aspect of your life begins to be coded with wrong. With all malice, every bit of you, your, your, your heart, your mind, your actions, your feelings, your emotions, everything. And you're no longer Christ-like. You're no longer love. There's no longer grace. I see in James, and I'm going to close with this. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I, I can't tell you guys how many times I, I, have, I have preached on this. But the, any kind of sin message that I could get into all relates the same. This is, this is what happens. It says, when lust hath conceived, it's when the thought or desire has taken root in your mind. When that has happened, it takes root in your mind. When it's conceived in your mind. It bringeth forth sin. That means you begin to do the wrong things. And it says when sin, when it is finished. You know why you can't sit on it? Because you might say, well, I'm not taking this any further. And Satan, who you've given an opportunity in your life, he said, you might, but I will. I'll run with this ball. I'll spread what you said to be shared to one other person that's going to spark this. I'll have somebody repeat what you said. I'll, I'll have them talk about you. I'm going to spread this. That's what happens. And all of a sudden, sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. It kills relationships. For those that sit there and say, well, I didn't grow up close to my parents. Why? Because we got into it when I was 17 and I wrote them off. Can I say wherever we're at, with whoever we're at with this, it's, it's, it's not right. Now, I know a lot of people sit there today and say, hey, listen, I've got that certain person in my life that I've gone after them and I've tried in Matthew 18 as steps one, two, and three. And at the end of it, they say, if they will not hear you, I know that you cannot control them. But I'm here to say you can definitely control you. 
I can control me. I can make my heart right. I can do the right things. And I think I'm going to surprise a lot of people when I turn around and go through the steps of making things right next week. And I say, step one, you're going to be like, oh, okay. <laughs> that, that's not what I was thinking at all. You know why? Because it's contrary to how we feel. It's contrary to our flesh. You say, why are you preaching this? Because this is life. This is life. Maybe today you walked in here with conflict. Maybe today that you cut off a lunch appointment that you should have had. Whatever it is, this, this welcome to life. And God says, you want to stop acting your way and start acting my way? You know why? It's my job as your pastor to sit up there and study the word of God and say, all right, we all deal with strife. Lord, help me to understand. And he said, you better tell them. My Proverbs is their lips is like a dam. You open it up and it comes out. And I tell you, there's a whole lot more coming. You better learn to shut it down and shut it off before it gets out of hand. 